0: and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Jorge Santra who's the co-founder and CEO of Tinybird.
1: How are you Jorge? Hey, I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. So, I'm excited to learn about Tinybird today and what you're building and um, a lot of exciting things happening, I know recently just um, unveiling your Series a, a, couple a couple yesterday, I think. So, very yeah. very
1: <laughs> just yesterday.
0: Yeah, well, big congrats on that. Um, so, yeah, maybe you could give us a quick overview of what's what is Tiny Bird.
1: Sure. So, um, uh, Tiny Bird is a, a platform uh, at the same time than a set of tools that allow developers to build data products over uh, real time data, uh, over you know without having to worry about scale. Um, so you can start throwing data at uh, Tiny Bird, build some. Uh, pipe, some SQL, and turn the result of those uh, queries and, and those pipes into API endpoints that you can start um, exploiting right away from your applications.
0: Got it. So I I have some source of data. I'm kind of constantly sending it into Tiny Bird. And what kind of data format might that be? Like, it be any shape of data, any protocol, any format, or what? what is like the, the API for ingesting data into TeddyBird?
1: Yeah, so we um, uh, you, you can ingest a number of formats, uh, CSVs, JSON, uh, Parquet, uh, but the actual source of the data can be varied. It can be streaming data, like Kaf- coming from uh, Kafka, for instance, or coming from uh, Kinesis, or it can be, uh, th- and that's usually the case for, um, uh, events uh, type of data, things that are happening and that it's append only, like uh, uh, facts, let's say. And then you can have dimensional data also uh, in TinyBird that you bring maybe from a data warehouse, like a products table or a company table or a warehouse's table or something like that, that then you can use to join. Um, in real time and incrementally, with the data that it's coming in a streaming fashion, and then uh, transform it and enrich it uh, such that you can then exploit it uh, much easily, uh, much easier uh, than than you would otherwise.
0: Got it. And you mentioned like writing SQL queries. So are you? Is it? Explain where SQL comes into play. Like you, I've ingested yes. some data. Do, Is it then transformed that I can write SQL against it? Or how does that exactly work?
1: Yeah, because we're very focused on on building APIs that you can quickly uh, sort of whip up and then start integrating into your product. Um, If you think about what an API normally entails when you're building your own APIs, you have uh, some code that will run a, SQL query of some kind uh, into your data store, if it's not a, you know if you're using a relational database, it could be something similar to uh, SQL, some query language if you're not using a, a SQL database, but you're writing queries against the database and then you'll be doing other things like you'll be ensuring that uh, there's security for those goals and you'll be ensuring that it's scalable and you'll be doing a number of things in order to put those APIs in production. We take care of all that. We want the developers just to think about the SQL part. What is it you want to extract from the database in order to uh, uh, expose it to your application and then switch it on as an API and the result of those queries will be uh, the the output of, the, of your APIs, let's say. And you can easily add parameters. You have like a templating language that you can apply on top of the SQL so that you can pass in parameters, you can pass in um, conditions and, and you can define your own errors and uh, those kinds of things. But we take care of the scale, we take care of the security um, so that you can uh, as a developer, if you know SQL you can build data products that scale to whatever you're trying to scale uh, without being a data expert or a, or a uh, data engineer or having an army of data engineers behind you in order to, to do your, your job.
0: And I guess under the hood, what is the underlying data storage layer that you use? Is that something, have you built on top of like uh, a BigQuery or or some sort of existing tool or is it all custom? What does that look like?
1: We use um, an uh, all-up database, an open source database called ClickHouse. ClickHouse is a, a super powerful database that's designed to scale uh, both horizontal, horizontally and, and vertically, um, it's uh, we were blown away when we uh, started using it a few years uh, ago, and we became experts uh, at using it. But the thing with ClickHouse, we always say it's a bit like a Formula One. Uh, you know, if you've been driving for many years and you have a team of uh, expert mechanics and and uh, and so on, then you can make it run at three hundred kilometers per hour. And essentially, what we're trying to do is enable any developer to drive the Formula One. You know, so any driver, let's say, you at least have to know SQL. But if you know SQL, then you can you can uh, build APIs that will scale and they will take advantage of those um, of that performance and uh, those uh, that scalability uh, that that Clearhouse brings without having to worry about what's happening in the background. You know, whether you're using um, Replication, or how to replace data when you made a mistake, or how to what to do when something fails, and so on. Got it. And yeah, I've definitely been hearing a lot about house
0: recently. Um, I I'm not super familiar with how it works, so I'm curious. Like, what is the for it, when you look at just like native ClickHouse? What is the query? How do you query it? like i assume it doesn't support sql so how, how what does their query language look like yeah no
1: it, it supports sql it's, it's oh it not, does okay it, yeah it's, it does it's not a standard 100 percent standard but it's almost uh, uh there and then it has a number of uh, uh added functionalities and functions that are incredibly powerful as well to do statistical calculations and so on and um, but um uh you know it's it's a columnar database it's designed to do aggregations and and do calculations over uh columns of data so it's really good at uh uh inserting data very fast and it's really good at um querying data very fast and 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 running these analytical queries um not so good at doing Individual, or keeping one individual record um, changing all the time, or so doing updates basically, uh, or, or deletes. And we cover for that with functionality we've built on top such that you can do those things um, for, for certain use cases without having to worry about what you would have to do under the covers, let's say.
0: Got it. And on the ingestion side, when you're typically ingesting data into a ClickHouse, what is the like let's say I'm not using Tinybird, I'm just using ClickHouse. I have the types of data you mentioned: streaming data, JSON, CSVs. Like, what would typically be the process for getting that data ingested into ClickHouse? And help me understand like what Tinybird might do on top of
1: native ClickHouse to, to help yeah. with that. Makes sense. So when you like ClickHouse has a set of uh, um, uh, different functionalities to ingest data. So you can do you can ingest. Uh, CSVs, or you can ingest JSON, or you can. Uh, there, it has an engine to ingest Kafka data and things like that. But then, if you want to, uh, you know, when you um, uh, with with Tinybird, we simplify that such that you can do that from the browser. Just click, 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 and you can start ingesting data right away and building those endpoints. But we also bring observability to the mix, such that the reality of ingestion is that you know normally it goes wrong. Like if you have CSVs, uh, generally you'll have different formattings and CSV is not like a standard. It's just a set of guidelines really and then people interpret interpret them in different ways. So we've invested a lot of of time in ensuring that if you have problems ingesting, um, you can, instead of stopping your uh, processing, we uh, have very good, uh, let's say, Reporting capabilities in terms of telling you, hey, this went wrong, but the ingestion, as long as the the, the data that was correctly ingested continues to be ingested, and the one that it's uh, had problem is here, and you can fix it and then add it to the other rest. So we we build functionality around ingestion such that um, uh, you don't have to go deep into the logs to figure out exactly what happened, but actually you can. Uh, uh just uh quickly solve it and and uh and understand what's what's going on so we were basically building on top of the things that clickhouse already has and replacing some of the things for instance we don't use we have our own kafka ingestion uh we, we don't use um um uh clickhouse own kafka engine because we it was limiting it us in some of the things we wanted to do, such as uh, not having to define a schema, for instance, when you start ingesting. We in Tinybird, the schema gets defined automatically uh, based on the data that it's coming in, uh, whereas in ClickHouse, you'll have to define that schema and then you know uh, iterate and so on. So we make all of that iteration that is required when you're building a uh, a data product. Uh, we make that iteration um, easy for for anyone irregardless of how knowledgeable they are uh, around uh, ClickHouse.
0: And then on the API side, help me understand a bit more about what that looks like. Like, are you automatically generating API schema based on, um, you know, as you said before, like kind of automatically understanding the schema of the data, putting that into ClickHouse. Is that what you then use to build API endpoints that
1: I can build a front end quickly on top of? Um, More or less, yes. Essentially, We've built, uh, in Tinybird. you have the concept of of data sources and you have the concept of pipes. Data sources is how we abstract um, uh, sources of data that could be coming from, from different places. It could be a Kafka topic and you want to join it with a CSV that you ingest every hour, for instance, or uh, uh, some other data stream that you want to join with. Um, and then uh, with pipes, you can do... You can materialize data on ingestion, so as data comes in, you can be transforming it and materializing it. But you can also create API endpoints. So these pipes are very similar to, or very, um, so they're inspired by Jupyter notebooks. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but or Python notebooks, uh, such that you can write a simple query and then um, use another node to query the result of that previous query or you can do joins between nodes. You can So you can incrementally solve uh, the queries that you're trying to, to write. Uh, rather than having to build this massive, uh, not very performant queries, uh, you can break that up in chunks and, and work incrementally. And then once you're happy with, with the result, that that result, which would be a, a table of some kind or a, or a, t- a columnar structure of some kind, that's what you expose Uh, as an API and and you can control the results using parameters and and so on, as I was saying earlier. Got it. How about like API
0: security and error checking and like all the kind of uh, annoying parts of building an API?
1: Do you you (laughs) you handle that as well? Yes. So we have um, uh, token-based security such that you can do uh, things like, well, uh, when you create an API endpoint, you can decide to just have Uh, one token that gives you access to that particular endpoint or you can create tokens that give you access to a number of endpoints and then you can do row level uh, uh, security as well such that you can create, for instance, this is very typical when you're building um, user-facing analytics for your product. If you're trying to um, build charts that show how your users or to your users how they're uh, building the product, you can uh, create a token that says this token is only good for company ID equals uh, A or whatever, and then that will always pre-filter the data such that the same API can work for multiple companies. Let's say, um, so so that that's how we that's how we handle security, and you, we have APIs to handle those tokens, such that you can refresh them. You can uh, uh, you know every time a user logs into your uh, or creates an account, you can create a token for them. Those, those kinds of things such that you can manage your your tokens um, easily as part of your normal process, let's say. Got it.
0: Um, so taking a step back, I'm, I'm curious, like ClickHouse is open source um, and, or mostly open source, I know. Um, is is Honeybird, is Parts open source, any of it open source? Or is it all going to be kind of um, like more
1: of a software as a service platform? So. So we we're a software as a service platform. We are contributing heavily to ClickHouse. Uh, we okay. have our own ClickHouse team, and uh, we you know we've been uh, helping uh, from performance uh, uh, things on certain functions to improving logging for materialized views uh, to implementing a number of uh, of uh, improvements that that. Um, obviously we're interested in and that benefit the the community as well. And then we have a number of things that we are uh, uh, thinking about um, open sourcing that we're using internally. One thing that we don't like doing is, you know, um, open sourcing for the sake of open sourcing. uh, As in, if it's a project that we think it's interesting, then we want to pay attention to it, and uh, and you know we want to put it out there and support it really well, and and really be on top of uh, pull requests and and uh, and issues that people bring. And uh, because in the past we've put not not in Tinybird but in previous companies and and uh, projects, you know, you open source because hey yeah of course let's do this it makes sense, and then you have a lot of frustrated people <laughs> that, because you're not paying as much attention to it as you should. So so we we w- there's a couple of things like for instance we have an amazing. Graphical tool to explore time series data um, uh, that we want to open source, but again, until we feel, hey, we have the enough bandwidth and and this has enough entity for us to uh, to support it well, um, uh, we'll probably keep it uh, closed source and then uh, you know uh, contribute uh, when when we're ready to to support that well. Yeah,
0: that, that makes a lot of sense, and I. People often underestimate the, the burden of open yeah. sourcing something and doing it well in terms of managing the community and responding to, to issues of pull requests and marketing the open source. And so um, exactly. it definitely makes sense to, to only do it if there's like a, a strong need to do so or it's, it's particularly valuable for the community. Exactly. I'm curious. I, so I know with ClickHouse, they were came out a few years ago and then more recently, there's been a company started to that with a lot of the original uh, builders of ClickHouse and they're now launching their own software as a service cloud uh, offering of ClickHouse. So I think that's going to have like some of the, the things um, that make it easier to develop like automatic scaling and it's hosted. So you don't need to worry about a lot of the the more difficult parts. So I'm curious, like, is that will that be competition for t- Tiny Bird at all? I mean, I know that there's more you do in terms of building APIs on top of the data that I don't think ClickHouse really covers. But would you see that as competition or is more complementary?
1: Look, it's very. Uh, of course, there there'll be um, uh, competition in terms of uh, um, certain use cases, uh, but I think we're targeting very different uh, people in the sense that um, uh, you know there's always going to be users and four databases that want to have full control of every single parameter uh, of a database and 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 full control of, over the whole uh, life cycle of it. But in our view, the um, and based on everything we've been talking to our customers and, 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 and users and so on, really the key interest people have based on everything that's going on and because they want to move fast and they want to compete, and, and so on. really what people care about is for systems that are fast that are reliable and that are give you amazing time to market. And that's what we're focused on at enabling developers to do that um, without really needing to understand what's going on uh, under under the hood. So um, uh, Clickhouse those guys are amazing and, and you know we have a great relationship with them and, and uh, 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 we talk a lot a lot to them and uh but uh, we see it as very complementary like uh they they're uh, of course uh, going to be very appealing to to people that are already using Clickhouse or looking to move from some other uh all up database to to clickhouse uh whereas we're appealing to developers of companies of all sizes that want to have um you know they don't want to worry about uh, uh are not interested in being the ones in charge of hosting their infrastructure and so on, but want to do it in a serverless way and, and scale uh, without having to make the decisions about how many CPUs do I need, or how many, how much memory, or uh, uh, you know, how do I migrate this table, or how you know, um, we we want to provide rails for for those developers to to move quickly, let's say.
0: So, tell me about some of the use cases you're seeing for Tinybird. Maybe any particularly interesting customers or types of data, or just general use cases that you find interesting.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, we are blown away. Like uh, <laughs> the the use cases we see today versus the ones we were imagining initially are are very different. And I think that's due to the power of uh, real time. Um, uh, real time is a bit like. Something you don't—it's you, easy to discount. Like uh, when you already have your ETLs running, and and uh, when you have, you know, maybe you have one hour lag from the moment you, uh, 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 you know, some transactions or something happens on your website or your application until you see the result. And a lot of people tell us, "No, we don't really need real time." But actually, what we are seeing is that once you start doing things or you realize you can do things in real time, Um, it fundamentally can change how you operate your business because it enables you to work in a different way. Uh, You start thinking about it in a different way. You start thinking about it in a more reactive and a more opportunistic base. Like, hey, if I know right now if my campaign is functioning or not, as I expected, I can react to it immediately. I can even automate all those insights and react to changes automatically. Whereas before, um, analytics has always been used to understand the past. Now is much more about you know you can actually uh, affect the experience of your users in real time, which is which is pretty powerful. So um, we we see a lot of use cases from user facing analytics, which is like our uh, the one we've this more, uh, repeated more because we can take events either through a Kafka or directly through HD, our own HTTP. Uh, high-frequency ingestion endpoint and immediately expose those results as charts so that uh, customers can see in real time how, you know, uh, other um, their users are experiencing their applications and services and so on. Uh, Vercel, for instance, which is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Vercel, but they're, they're a, um, a great uh, company uh, platform as a service for building uh, React applications and, and Next.js applications and to scale them. So very similar to what we do, but for code rather than uh, uh, data, uh, these guys, for instance, uh, power Vercel Analytics with uh TinyBird such that their users can see in real time how their applications are being experienced. So that's um, a very typical use case uh, for us. But we have others like um, real-time personalization, for instance. Uh, I was sort of alluding to this. We take uh, data from our uh, that is being generated in an event and uh, through events and use that to affect the next step of a user journey, for instance. So uh, based on what they're doing, but also based on what other similar users are doing. So uh, a typical use case would be in an e-commerce mm, sorting. The products grid based on what people are looking at, or sorting the pictures in order uh, of a given product based on what people click more. Uh, those kinds of things uh it, you know it's really powerful and it's really trivial to to build with something like like Tiny Bird. And um, then we see things around automation as well, uh, security uh, anomaly detection, uh, we um, uh, uh, operational analytics as well, like operational dashboards. For entire companies that want to have real time uh, analytics and uh, like uh, uh, so so that's those are the types of things that we're we're seeing a lot and so you just raised uh just your
0: series A and congrats again on that um, thank you thirty thirty seven million is, is what was announced that's right um, can you tell me a bit about what are the plans over the next year or two for for
1: the funding in particular mm-hmm <laughs> um well the, uh, there's three pillars to it i think one of them is um uh, the product of course and improving and and taking our vision forward in terms of uh how we uh, believe that real time data products at scale should be built and uh, and uh, that includes improving uh investing a lot in the user experience in the developer experience such that it is really a pleasure to build things and scale them up and iterate them and so on. Um, we invested a lot in that, but we, we just have amazing ideas of, you know, things that now you sort of have to do that you won't even have to worry about in, in the future. Um, uh, then the, uh, there's a lot as well around connectivity uh, such that, you know, uh, one of the key blockers for any data platform is you have to get people to get data into your platform in order to for them to do something useful with it so um we want to remove all the friction there such that it's uh you know there's connectors to uh everything uh, under the sun in terms of uh where your data can be and and what data you want to bring into Tinybird to to uh exploit it in real time uh there's also um you know we want to be we want to enable you. We can run in any cloud now, but we want uh, uh, by default, it's uh, we're we running in Google Cloud at the moment. And we want to go multi cloud such that you can choose where you want to run Tiny Bird, whether it's um, Azure or DigitalOcean or um, uh, AWS or whatever. Um, and then um, uh, in general, growing in order to do that, then a lot of the money goes. Uh, to hire people and hire really good people to, to do that. And uh, I'll take this opportunity to say that we are hiring <laughs> heavily uh, and uh, ag- aggressively um, both in Europe and, and in the U.S. And, and then the, the last um, big uh, thing is our U.S. expansion. Now, we were, uh, um, All the founders were from Spain. We started out in, in, in Spain Uh, I'm now uh, uh, gradually moving to the US uh, and moving the family and everything. And uh, headquarters now are in the US and we have our go-to-market team uh, is led from the US. And um, so our US expansion is also another uh, big uh, focus for us. Where did you choose to move in the US? I'm curious. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to New York. Um, nice. uh, I've already been going back and forth. I still have to, you know, moving a whole family and everything I have two kids is uh, is not' <laughs> it's not an easy thing. So it, it's uh, unfortunately not, not something that I can do like from one day to the next. but uh, but I so I'm in the process there. and uh, but I love New York and and we think New York is practical for us in many senses in the se- you know uh, time zone difference to work with a team here. Uh, very important. Um also direct flights to uh Madrid where a big chunk of, of uh of the team is uh is also uh important um and New York is in many ways the center of the world and, and uh Every time I walk around Manhattan, I have a feeling like there's like 15 potential customers in every building uh at least <laughs> so uh it's a great place to find uh, uh, customers and it's a great place to find talent it's It's a hub for data companies as well like a lot of uh great data companies are there like uh, uh, datadog for instance uh, and uh, so so yeah it just feels it just feels like like the right place for us. So
0: Jorge, thanks so much for joining today. It's been great learning um, about about Tinybird and hearing about your exciting plans for the future. For folks out there who are interested in using the product or learning more, what what's the best way to do so?
1: Um, the best way to go is to, to to do so is to go to tinybird.co co uh, and uh, just sign up and check out our, our documents and our guides uh, to to get started. There's a there's a nice uh, onboarding guide when you uh, sign up for the first time um, you know it this is just the right moment because um, interestingly although we've always been focused around developers and and we've always our mission from the beginning was to enable developers to build uh, data products over data at any scale um, actually the first we landed big customers early on and that forced our hand to build you know, to focus on stability, on performance, on, uh, you know, uh, multi-region and things like that, but not so much in the self-service experience. And now, um, finally, very recently, we, um, we, you know, we came out of sort of private beta and just it's now open for everyone. So anyone can uh, sign up and start for free. Um, uh, you can build things that as long as you are um, under a thousand requests a day, You can can do it for free, and then um, and and yeah, then you can. There's a usage-based pricing that you can, uh, so you can pay as you grow uh, uh, if you if you build stuff with TinyBird. Great. Well,
0: thanks again. It's been great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. And uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, I hope to come back uh, in in a year or so and tell you uh, a lot more about TinyBird and our progress well. We'd be happy to have you again.
0: Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at Pod, Rocket Pod on Twitter.
1: And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.